This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Team of Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are a lot like Tom Brady because we've been doing this forever and we're freaking winners. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Hi, everyone. That concludes the football portion of this episode. I think we do a good, like, solid five to seven seconds every year when we record on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, But, you know, this Sunday is just another matchup ending Sunday where so much happened in the afternoon. So like all the games are over, we can talk about the finished week, which is very rare. So thank you to the NFL and the Super Bowl and the NHL being afraid of scheduling against the NFL and the Super Bowl for that. I think that there were games scheduled that were postponed. Like, I think there was going to be at least a oh, game tonight. Right. Like, maybe the Minnesota Wild or something. But anyway, doesn't matter. The games are over. I had a really good tweet, I thought, Brian. I was, like, ready for, like, 100 likes. Because I noticed that this afternoon, uh, there were a lot of games where you had a really experienced goalie against a kind of a newer, like, goalie in the league. Like, younger and, like, not as much experience. Tomasz Greis beat uh, Chris Driedger. Over, you know, in that game, Detroit versus uh, Florida. Uh, Robin Leonard beat Cal Peterson. James Reimer beat Eunice Corposalo. So I tweeted, like, saying, like, oh, this is a sign that wait, uh, Tom Brady, I said Wayne Brady almost, Tom Brady is going to beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I thought that was like, what a great insight. Only six likes. I suck at Twitter. It's too bad. But one thing we hopefully won't suck at is covering all of the fantasy action from over the past week. So I'm really excited to get into it. But before we do that, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. Articles every day. Frozen Tools is like my life. I'm always on Frozen Tools prepping the show. It's just the best. They also have a huge feed of like our podcast episodes and a bunch of other podcasts that they're on, like including the Steve Laidlaw podcast, which I really like. So yeah, it's all there. It's the best place. DauberHockey.com. Uh, but with that, Brian, why don't we just get into things? We could talk about some other whatever announcements and things along the way, but I'd love to just get right into the show and let's talk about some hot streaks and cold streaks. I feel like normally we want to talk about like injuries and like sort of like sad news or weird. Let's just get into some happy news. And this is very happy for Bruins fans because the Boston Bruins are like having an amazing start to the year. I remember we were kind of concerned. We were like, oh, Marshawn and Pasternak are going to be injured to start the year. Uh, Tori Krug is traded. Like maybe the Bruins aren't going to be as scary a team as they used to be. Well, 
here we are, eight games later. They've won seven of their last eight games. They're clearly enjoying having their amazing top line all back together. Like, take a look at this. Uh, Brad Marchand has pointed in all but one game in the whole season. He's sitting at 15 points in 11 games. Patrice Bergeron, three pointless games on the year, but has made up for it with three three-plus point games. So he also has 15 points in 11 games. That's an 112-point pace, by the way, for Marshawn and Bergeron. Then David freaking Pasternak, eight points in the four games he's played so far with his three-goal, one-assist game versus Philly on Wednesday as the highlight. He has 22 shots in those four games. Pasternak is averaging 11 cupful points per game. So in our league that we run with our patrons, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, like if you have a player who's giving you like four points a game, that's rosterable. Uh, David Pasternak is averaging 11. Uh, for context, that beats out McDavid, who's next highest with 9.32 and McDavid's having like double the points per game this season McKinnon way down at 6.93 so anyways obviously uh, it's not a hot take to say that Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak are great and you'd think there's not much to say Brian I've got a couple questions for you that I was thinking so first of all we had a question on our discord server earlier in the week with a Bergeron manager asking if he should try to like sell high quote unquote and target Evgeny Malkin who we were saying oh that might be a good time to trade for Malkin and I was like thinking about it, it was hard for me because I was thinking maybe I just prefer Bergeron he's having such a great start to the year so I'm curious no, Brian, to start the show off, who would you like better if you had the option of keeping Bergeron or trading for Evgeny Malkin at this point, who's, by the way, doing a lot worse, right? Only six points in 11 games so far. Right. Okay. So we had this discussion on Discord and there was an offer on the table, Bergeron for Malkin. And I was like, you know what? Give me Malkin. And I get it. It feels like kind of a spicy take at this point of the season with the way things are going. But, you know, researching it more for the show, I still feel comfortable that I would prefer Malkin versus Bergeron. And here's why. First, I'm going to start talking about how Patrice Bergeron, about 15 points, incredible so far. Nine of those 15 points have come on the power play where he is shooting 30% and his team is shooting 30% while he's on the ice and he has really high points participation too, which is probably not sustainable. For context, in terms of how many power play points we should expect from Bergeron over the season... He's paced for 29 power play points over the last three years on an 82-game pace. He's currently pacing for 67 power play points. So we know that's not going to happen. You don't have to look hard at the numbers to realize, okay, no one's scoring 67 power play points in a single season. Also, in the past three seasons... Power play points have accounted for 34% of Bergeron's total production. This year, power play points account for 60% of his total production so far. So again... There's this really unsustainable spike happening on the power play, which is lovely and beautiful, but not something I'm going to invest an asset to acquire because meanwhile, Bergeron's five-on-five production is still great, but it's also perfectly steady with past seasons. And past seasons have seen paces from Bergeron of 75, 181 points. Is that like not a bad deal to make for Malkin? Of, Of course not. You could make the deal and feel fine with yourself at the end of the day. But with Malkin, I guess I'm just subscribed to the idea that he's going to be okay in the end, which means that he's going to see something more in line with his last three full season paces of 110, 87, and 103 points. Correct me if I'm wrong, Elon. I, like, I'm not trying to galaxy brain this or anything. I'm just looking at both players and who the more established producer is, Malkin, then accounting for the unsustainable Bergeron or the unlikely Malkin starts to the year and then picking my guy. I think Bergeron's likely ceiling is probably around Malkin's likely floor as I did and I think many would have agreed on before the year. And I'm placing my bet that there's no reason to change that preseason assessment that Malkin can reach his floor this year and Bergeron won't necessarily exceed his ceiling. This is a deal you could make 
uh, trading Malkin for Bergeron. If you feel like Malkin is too risky a hold for your taste, something to be said for sure for Bergeron being an 80-point guy who, remember, might miss games, right? He's only played 60 or 65 games the last three seasons. Same with Malkin, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair points. But for my taste, the risk of holding Malkin is low enough that I'm going to hold on to him going for that higher ceiling unless maybe a better offer comes my way. We talked about last week how I would pick, uh, like I would consider trading him for one of the 10 guys drafted after him. In my draft, Bergeron was not one of them. And so I would not consider it. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, you kind of flipped this in the end because I was thinking more. I think the question came from a Bergeron manager wondering if they should trade for Malkin. But either way, it doesn't matter. In the end, you're picking a player. Oh, and I, okay, so yeah, if I'm a Bergeron manager, yeah, I trade for Malkin. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's what you said. And I guess for me, it's just like, uh, I wonder if you said you don't want to galaxy brain it. I almost wonder if like, this is a short season, right? We're going to be done this whole thing. Like, in, like, s- 10 weeks, I think we're going to be in our fantasy playoffs. So, you know, we don't have as much time to just wait for things to normalize. Uh, so I think for me, I would almost lean more towards in this season, just sticking with Bergeron. Like, it would be really hard for me. I know, like, we, you know, we give advice all the time. We're like, yeah, Malkin is going to be fine. So definitely try to trade for him if you can. But then, you know, when we get a question, like, should I trade Bergeron for Malkin? It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. Just hold Bergeron. He's like, you're right. You're doing well. Why mess with a good thing? But obviously, people don't want to just do nothing when they're playing fantasy. They want to hear our podcast and then make some moves. But I don't know. If it was me and I had Bergeron, I'd just chill and enjoy my life. But I guess you're saying you would try to flip him for someone like Malkin. So everyone no, has their own taste. Yeah, I would definitely. If I had Bergeron, I probably... Like, I, I would rationally trade him for Malkin, but I also would feel like you just said. Things are going well. I don't want to trade my superstar. The 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 juice, like, that's not necessarily... Because if you do take that action and it blows up in your face, that hurts, right? Yeah. And I don't know that I want to put myself in that position. Like, I will trade off 10, maybe 20 points so that I don't have something I didn't have to do blow up in my face. Right, yeah. Especially, like, if I'm happy with the team I drafted. Like, why am I messing with something that's working, you know? But I guess it, it depends how you play, right? And, like, I'm not a big trader, uh, you know, and I probably have had some players on my team that I drafted. Like, I drafted Patrick Hornfist, who had this amazing start to the year. He's, like, he hasn't, like, cooled off. You know, he's had a couple pointless games now. I probably could have, like, flipped him for someone really amazing, but I held on, and, you know, we'll see how it goes the rest of the way. But we're going to bring up a lot of players in this show, you know, either hot streaks or cold streaks, and discuss whether you should try to trade them or trade for them. So I think it's something to consider uh, when you're thinking about, like, uh, how you want to play. And if you want to like trade someone who's doing just fine for you. And like speaking of another guy who we had a trade question about for a penguin, I wanted to mention Charlie McAvoy, who's on a huge run right now, 10 points in his last seven games. This is basically these uh, seven games, basically the entire stretch of Matt Grizzlick has been out of the lineup with his lower body injury. And uh, three of those 10 points have come from the top power play, which is a spot that he got when Grizzlick left the lineup. Uh, but the latest news that we've seen from Fluto Shinzawa is that Grizzlick should be back in the lineup when the Bruins next play on Wednesday. So we had another question on our Discord this week asking about trading the Red Hot McAvoy for another concerning penguin in Chris Letang, who returned from his injury and picked up an assist versus the Islanders in the 4-3 loss on Saturday. Uh, Once again, my advice was to stick with the Bruin, and yours was to go with the Penguins. So I hope people find this interesting. Like, I know these, like, people aren't in this exact same situation, but I feel like it's just in general good to get a sense of what we're thinking about these players, because, like, Charlie McAvoy, we were expecting a breakout this year. I thought that it was just going to be a matter of time before he took over on the top power play from Grizz like obviously he's gotten it not the way that I was thinking but I, it's going to be super interesting to find out if like he gets to hold it or if just Grizzly comes right back and steps on there so with that uncertainty in mind Brian are you still saying that you would rather have Latang, who's already had his in- he's already starting to feel these injury concerns like yeah he came back right away but I don't know for me I'd, I'd stick with McAvoy 
there's definitely risk involved if you go and take Latang for sure. Like, this is not a move I'd be excited to make as a McAvoy owner. I might take it knowing it's a risk, but if you had to just make me pick one, one of these two players between McAvoy and Latang, I would take Latang. And it's not so different a conversation than the Malkin Bergeron conversation. Here, McAvoy's ceiling could be Latang's floor. Uh, and McAvoy also has this huge IPP on this maniacal power play that is just going off like nobody's business in Boston so far this season. And we don't know that McAvoy is going to hold that spot. And even if he does, he's not going to keep picking up points at the clip he's been picking them up at. Although I will take the power play. Like if McAvoy is quarterbacking the top power play all season in Boston, I will take him over Latang, but we don't know that's the case. Latang on the other side, uh, super disappointing, but there's still reason to stay hopeful based on past performance, right? This guy isn't nobody. His talent did not disappear overnight. And I think it really just comes down to power play deployment. That's the real question here. It's kind of up in the air for both guys, right? Latang has been rumored to be a trade option for Pittsburgh and John Marino's in the picture. And now Pierre Olivier Joseph might be in the picture. So he's got that to worry about. And then Boston McAvoy has Grizzlick to worry about, who I think will come back into the lineup and take back that top power play quarterback position. And honestly, I don't think it matters who is in that position all that much. I don't think the power play is going to be more or less successful by a substantial amount, whether it's McAvoy or Grizzlick. And if Grizzlick stinks, then yeah, McAvoy will get a term. But I just don't know that Grizzlick will be bad enough up there, that things will go poorly enough that they're going to turn to McAvoy. That's just my hunch. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I have the opposite hunch, but these are just hunches. So there's no way to know. Like the way I see it, it's like, they, you know, this whole reason that Grizzlick was there was apparently his handedness or whatever. He had the same handedness as crew. But now we're seeing that it's going just fine with McAvoy. So why not put your actual stud like future defenseman make him a superstar you know sell more tickets i don't know like it's like mcavoy's great like why replace him with matt grizzlick come on anyway <laughs> uh so uh grizzlick is not the only player who's expected to return on wednesday jake debrusque is expected to return not huge fantasy news right at this point i think we're over jake debrusque i think the big impact here would be is if he bumps nick ritchie from the top power play because nick ritchie's actually been doing something so if you have ritchie i would definitely be watching to see if he's still going to hold that top power play spot because if he doesn't then obviously he loses a lot of his value Uh, Okay, so also, I still want to keep the Bruins talk going because we have to talk about David Pasternak and this amazing start. Uh, I brought up how he's like ahead of McDavid and Dreisaitl and everyone in Kakuffle points per game through his, you know, only four games. He was actually ahead of McDavid and Dreisaitl in Kakuffle average points per game last season as well. So I'm just curious, uh, this thought came to my head, like if we, for some reason, started a new season like right now, like let's say we were drafting a league just for the rest of this season, is David Pasternak like the clear, maybe not clear, but is he like the person? that you'd take first overall because now it's like this season and last season he's averaging more than McDavid it seems so hard to not go with McDavid he has 26 points in 13 games after another two-point outing in the loss to Calgary on Saturday but man David Pasternak anyone who got him late in their drafts because he was gonna miss like what turned out to be like two weeks like what a steal this guy's insane Well, Elon, first, let me talk about the other David in Boston. David Crate. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we can talk just about Pasternak this episode. Uh, The numbers he and his line are putting up, especially on the power play, as I've mentioned, are just so freaking silly. Silly enough that I'm not going to assume they stay where they are all season. But of course, also not so silly for someone like Pasternak, who is this legit a player. If you're asking me where I'd want him, I mean, you talking about his 11 point whatever could cut full points per night is wild, right? That doesn't happen. Uh, so like that makes him really enticing, but I'm not 
if he was healthy, like he was picked somewhere like 13th overall in the Kukupful this season, according to our ADP, which by the way, you can see over at kukupful.com, K-K-U-P-F-L.com, which is our new website with all kinds of Kukupful stats and trivia and like manager reports. It's a really crazy spot and we hope you check it out. Um, I was saying that, yeah, Pasternak was drafted deep. If he was healthy, he would have been a top five pick, right? So the others are McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, and Matthews in my top five. And I can't say that he's really moved around in that group too much. I think you could justify him probably anywhere in that order. Uh, but I'm not about to move him so far up. But also still acknowledging that like, if you drafted Pasternak first overall, I, I might raise an eyebrow second overall. I might slightly raise my eyebrow third overall, no problem. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing, it doesn't really matter, like, if someone takes Pasternak versus McDavid in the end, we're not talking, like, a huge difference in points. I, I would probably go McDavid also, and this is not a decision anyone has to make, but I think it'll be fun to watch throughout the rest of the season, see who is gonna have the highest average fantasy points per game. McDavid, by the way, just crazy, right? He scores at will while taking all kinds of abuse. I'm loving the highlight packages of the season of him going coast to coast, just cutting through everyone and going full speed at the net and usually making like a quick cut or angle change to fool the goalie and score. I've had so much fun watching McDavid play more often in my time zone this year. That's the gift of the Canadian division to me personally. Yeah, he's awesome. Also, usually when the highlight like zooms in on his face, he's like also like looking in the wrong direction just to psych people out. Like he's insane. He's the best. Okay. Anyways, another guy who's missed the start of the season, but has looked really good since returning. I mean, not as good as Pasternak, obviously, but Mikhail Granlund is someone we need to talk about. He's now played eight games for the Preds. It's put up a cool six points. In fact, Coach Hines is clearly liking what he's seen from Granlund so far. He's recently rejigged the lines, and he bumped Victor Arvidsson to play with the dregs at even strength. Like, uh, Arvidsson was playing the last game with Cali Yarncroft and Rocco Grimaldi, but Mikhail Granlund is playing on the top line with Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. Uh, this trio definitely feasted on Sergei Bobrovsky on Thursday in the 6-5 win. Uh, Forsberg popped two goals and three assists. Duchesne had a couple goals. Granlund had an assist. Things didn't go as easily on Friday versus Chris clearly better than Bob Drieger in the 2-1 loss, but uh, with Duchesne and Granlin only like 42% and 12% rostered respectively on Yahoo. Is it time for people to take a look if they're available and like jump on them if they are? Like I think in almost any format, how could you not want Duchesne and Granlin if they're playing with Forsberg and doing so well? So yes and no is my answer. And by the way, you mentioned the Yahoo percent rostered numbers over at kickupful.com. I can tell you uh, using the charts there that Mikhail Grenlin is rostered in 96% of the 23 kickupful divisions and Duchesne is rostered in 87% of the kickupful division. So if you trust that people in the kickupful know what they're doing, then yes, you should absolutely go out and roster these guys. And honestly, I think in any moderately deep league, you should be interested in both Granlund and Duchesne. I'll start with Granlund first and just taking a trip down memory lane to remember that he had a nice little run last year towards the pause. Granlund with 12 points in 14 games towards the end of last season. Some of that came alongside Philip Forsberg. I think the headline here might just be that Grenlin continues to be the number one centerman in Nashville. He quietly led the team in average five-on-five ice time last season and is still their most used centerman this year. But I'm also going to sort of flip the question here a little because I, I think you're burying the lead here, Elon, which is that Philip Forsberg is seeing a career-high 
14 and a half minutes per night of time on ice. Remember in the episodes we ran leading up to the season, Forsberg was considered by us to be a disappointment in 1920 when we hoped for a bounce back and it just never came. And one reason, okay, one reason was that the natural power play continued to suck as it continues to do. Uh, That's a whole other story. But the main reason was that Forsberg was still seeing this really pedestrian deployment. He actually saw fewer minutes in 2019-20, seeing barely 13 minutes a night at five on five. And that put him like barely in the top 100 forwards for average ice time. Meanwhile, his five on five point rates were up in the top 20 alongside guys like Mitch Marner. But Forsberg saw so much less ice than the rest of that top group, the top scoring group, that it was hard for him to get hopes up above 65 points just by virtue that they had the time to work with. He didn't. Well, this year, Forsberg is now seeing that career high average of 14 and a half minutes a night, a 90 second improvement from last year, and just 30 seconds less than Mitch Marner was seeing last year. So we're getting there. He was the sort of bellwether that we used to make the analysis going into the season. And it's nice to see that Philip Forsberg is making the most of it, which of course showed in that performance you talked about two goals, three assists, five points and eight shots this past Thursday 11 points in 11 games still isn't sustainable for Forsberg, but with even an average power play, this should be enough to get him to 70 points. I just want to revise that preseason projection now that we're seeing him actually get minutes. uh, Of course, that's a big if about the power play. We'll see if Nashville can finally figure it out for the first time. And we're going on three years now that the Nashville power play has been a disaster. Anyway, you asked about Mikhail Granlund specifically. I think a 60-point pace is possible for him, especially considering he's already hitting it with some favorable variance, but with no power play points. And Matt Duchesne, uh, I'm not going to go deep on. I'm just going to say same story to Granlund. Uh, Doing well so far, nothing happening on the power play. And that whole top line is shooting barely 6% at 5-on-5 when you should expect them to shoot somewhere in 8 or 9% at 5-on-5. So there's a chance that they can really get going even more than they have been already. It's going to be a storyline to watch to see just how good this group of players, Granlund, Duchesne, and Forsberg, who've underwhelmed us for a little while now, can actually do this year if things finally start bouncing their way. Yeah, I think that, how about this as the easy advice, if you're not sure if you should add uh, Duchesne or Granlund if they're available, like uh, Nashville plays Monday, Tuesday, this coming week, and Thursday and Saturday are super busy days. So like, if you could get players playing on days not Thursday and Saturday, you probably want to go for them. So if you're in a league where you can stream, by the way, you could get all this information on the Stream Scheme podcast by Dave Benton. I was like l- loving it. This I think this was his best ever episode. I was laughing at parts. Anyways, he like digs into the schedule and looks like who you should add just for the next week. And he correctly pointed out that Nashville has a good schedule because they play Monday, Tuesday. They are against Tampa, so they might not be the easiest games to score goals for. But anyways, if I see if you have one of them available, Brian, in our league, the Fantasy Hockey Trades League, uh, we added Matt Duchesne out of free agency, and I'm happy to have him for Monday, Tuesday. Then we'll reassess. So do that. It seems like if they're on the top line with Forsberg, even if Forsberg is a little bit unsustainable, it's a good spot to be. And also, sorry if you have Victor Arvidsson, because if he's going to stick not with Forsberg, then things might not continue. Like, he started the year really well, but it started to slow down. And it makes sense why. I actually had a trade offer in the cupful. Uh, someone offered me... Uh, who, who was it? Oh, yeah, it was Arvidsson for my Jonathan Marcheseau. And I thought about it because Arvidsson was having a better start to the year. I'm really glad that I ended up saying no. I've said no to so many trade offers this year, Brian, like some crazy ones. Started to think that's my best skill because all of them were ones that in hindsight, I'm, I was happy I didn't accept. Uh, the most recent one that I don't know yet is I was offered Pedersen for Mika Zibanejad. So I'm going to find out at some point if I was smart or dumb to not accept that one. But anyway, enough about myself. Let's go to the Nashville net. I actually wanted to talk to you about them. I, I'm expecting you to do a bit of a victory lap here 
because when we did the Schmore Goalies Board episode, uh, you were saying that you think that Pekka, Rene, and UC Saros will maybe get even time. Like, you thought Rene still has something. And I was like, come on, Brian. Like, Rene was terrible last year. He's already 38 years old. Like, forget about this guy. He's just a backup. But right now, UC Saros not doing very well. Um, like, it was Saros in net for that crazy 6-5 to five game. And then Rene came in the next game. Oh, by the way, Saros got pulled and then Rene was in the net for a comeback win for Nashville on Thursday versus Florida. And then Rene got the start on the Friday game and was really good in the 2-1 win. Or, sorry, it was a 2-1 loss. But either way, you get what I'm saying. Saros sits with an 893 save percentage in his seven games right now and Rene has a 902 in six games. So neither has been great overall, but Rene is starting to come on in these last couple games versus Florida. To me, like I see this as an opportunity to get Saros for cheap if you're in a league where it's hard to find goalies and he's rostered by someone who's probably really frustrated and nervous that Rene is going to start stealing starts. Uh, but I have a feeling you're going to want to take a victory lap here and say that you think that Rene is going to potentially steal more starts. I'm curious to know your thoughts here. Yeah, victory laps aren't my style, Elon. I, I never never feels good to say I told you. So I want you to be right more than I... No, I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to be so kind here. I'm very happy about this. What people don't know before we recorded Schmorgoli's board is Elon and I had a two-hour call uh, where we hashed out all of our goalie tiers before the episode because we didn't want to be arguing for the entire episode because we know that it's contentious. And this was one situation that... We talked, like, you tried so hard to move me off this position that Pecorino was a clear number two and that there was no way he was going to be in a timeshare. So, yeah, I am pretty happy uh, to see that I was kind of right, but I'm not going to take a huge victory lap because uh, what I'm seeing in their five-on-five numbers is that UC Saros has still actually been the better goalie this year, which I didn't say was impossible either. I just had pointed out that Rene didn't seem totally done and Saros has shown himself to be fairly inconsistent, which shows up in his 43% quality start percentage this year. But to be honest, Rene's uh, like rote counting numbers aren't any better, just 50% quality starts, just a 902 save percentage. So he's not proving himself to be anything. And if you account for the difficulty of the shots they faced at five on five, UC Saros is playing like a smidge above average while Pecorine is missing it by uh, not a ton, but by a little. So Saros should still get the bulk of the starts going forward if they both play up to the abilities we've seen so far. But I don't think he's running away with that number one job because of this rocky start. Yeah, that's fair. Like, definitely, I'm not saying to give up a lot for Saros, but if he's been dropped in your league, if it was me, I would probably grab him if I needed a goalie. So I guess it's impossible to predict with goalies. But let's try anyways and talk about another goalie situation. I already kind of brought it up. The situation in Florida where things have really started to flip, like going into today's game versus the Red Wings. Sergei Bobrovsky was sitting on a dreadful 891 save percentage in the four games he's played. He still has a 3-0-1 record, so that just shows how good Florida has been offensively. Uh, but his counterpart, Chris Drieger, also had a 3-0-1 record going into today. They did lose today, so I'll update that. But uh, he had a 9.42 save percentage also going into this game against the Red Wings. But yeah, Thomas Grice got the win over Driedger today. Driedger stopped 35 of 38 shots, still a 9.21 save percentage. So he has sparkling numbers, even though he took an L. Hope I, I don't think Joel Quenville is the type of coach who's going to be like, oh, he lost. So clearly now we need to go back to Bobrovsky. Like, I think it's starting to become super clear that Chris Driedger is just straight up better than Bobrovsky right now. And I'm curious 
curious to know if you had Bobrovsky in your league, is there like a reason to hold him? I feel like, again, like we were talking about with Malkin and Bergeron, it's a short season. Like you can't just like let weeks and weeks go by waiting for your player to do better. I think at this point, maybe it could be a tandem or maybe Driedger is just going to take over as a starter. But either way, I can't imagine myself holding Bob. Like I can't even imagine myself holding Robin Leonard at this point in a lot of leagues, considering that Marc-Andre Fleury is getting so many starts and Leonard hasn't been like so amazing. So there's no way I'd be holding Bobrovsky at this point. Me neither. It's funny. I had Leonard in my notes too about whether you like either of these guys are worth rostering. Uh, I was going to say not really anybody in a 50 50 timeshare. I mean, it depends on your categories, of course, but it's not a great situation for anyone. And Robin Lehner is case in point, who I think is one of the best goalies in the league, but I don't want to own him this year. I don't want him on my roster. But let's talk about Driedger for a minute and just extol his virtues because he has been very good and Bobrovsky has been very bad. There are 49 goalies who have seen more than 100 unblocked shot attempts this season at 5-on-5. Chris Trudger ranks third amongst them in Delta Fenwick's save percentage, which is our favorite measure to decide how well a goalie is doing compared to what you should reasonably expect, given how difficult their their body of work is and the shots they're facing. So Trudger ranks third out of 49 goalies. Bobrovsky ranks 43rd out of 49 goalies. So this is not a close race at all. This is a tale of two very different goalies so far this season. The thing about Riedger, I guess, that's exciting, is that he's this unknown. He's been bumping around for a while, but has never really gotten any kind of shot up until late last season. He made his debut as a 20-year-old with Ottawa back in 2014-15, but only had 95 career minutes played and no NHL starts up until last season as a 25-year-old with Florida. Uh, Fun little Dreedger fact, if you want to impress any of your friends, he played 55 shutout minutes over two appearances over two years to begin his NHL career. So there were some early returns that were really great for him. Now Dreger is building a resume now that he has an opportunity and is a career 935 in 19 appearances with an 80% quality start percentage. This is all a small sample. We're not going to draw any large conclusions, but it is so funny that when Bobrovsky was acquired by Florida, we're like, okay, Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight and whoever else is in the picture, like, is just throw away. And Driedger all of a sudden seems to be the best option at the moment, especially if I'm looking for rates and nothing else in my league. Then I look at Driedger, but if I'm looking for volume, that 50-50 timeshare that I expect to continue, even if he does drastically outplay Borowski, uh makes him really tough to actually roster if you're losing out on saves. Oh, okay. So I don't see it that way. Like I see it more like Bobrovsky you drop because he's like at best a 50-50 guy. Mm. But I think that it's possible. Like Driedger is doing so much better. Flor- Florida isn't a bad team. They don't have a reason to, you know, try to get Bob's game back. Like, this all of a sudden is a team that's won a lot of games to start the year. And maybe Coach Quenville is like, I don't care about this Bobrovsky yeah. contract. I'm going to try to win as many games as I can, and I'm going to play the better goalie. So at this point, I'd grab Driedger and ride it. Yeah, but like, for sure he's not going to get every game. Like, it's not like a Edmonton situation where they're just going to play Koskinen, like, every single game until Mike Smith is healthy. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'd be interested in having Driedger if I could get him. That's a really good point, Elon. I, I agree. So yeah, if the question is whether to hold Bobrovsky, I wouldn't. And if the question is whether to give Driedger a try on your roster, I would. Yeah, okay. And then uh, speaking of the Panthers, like I said, 
Very strong start to the year. Uh, going into today's game, Huberdeau and Barkov had 12 and 11 points, respectively, in the eight games they'd played. Carter Verhage playing on the top line with Barkov and declared nine points in eight games. Uh, so I guess no points today for Verhage. So you can make that nine points in nine games. Still uh, pretty good. Uh, Patrick Hornfist had eight points in eight games going into today. Uh, Duclair, six assists in eight games, but he's now pointless in four. Uh, so actually, I'm starting to wonder if maybe Anthony Duclair, like if Quenville decides to shake things up, hey, they just lost to Detroit. So maybe that's a good reason to maybe change things around. I wonder if maybe Duclair is going to be the one to get bumped since he's the coldest right now, maybe for like a Frank Vitrano. But anyways, that's just speculation. Who's knows, who knows what's going to happen? But right now, like, uh, you know, if you have like a Verhage out there, uh, he's someone I would definitely be interested in because Barkov is clearly showing that he's on this other level. Same with Huberdeau. You want to have someone playing with either of those guys. So, you know, I'd be interested in actually getting your take on like if those Nashville guys are available. If you could pick up Grandland or you could pick up Carter Verhage, which way would you go? Well, first off, I'm surprised you're not asking me, who's Carter Verhage? No, we already did that a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to remind you. Can I remind you? I mean, okay, I remember, but you could tell me he was on Tampa last year. I remember you said he had low minutes, and but this year he's seeing many high minutes. Was this with Laidlaw or with me? I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Someone told me this. <laughs> okay. So for anybody who might have forgotten, such as myself, Verhege was drafted third in the third round, 82nd overall by Toronto in 2013, and had 130 points in 134 AHL games with Syracuse, where he fought to get to after having spent some time in the ECHL, and now in Florida, using twice as many minutes as he saw last year as a 24-year-old rookie, when he saw just nine minutes a night in Tampa. Now he's seeing 18 minutes a night in Florida. Uh, and by the way, in Tampa, with nine minutes tonight, saw 21 points in 52 games, which frankly isn't all that bad for Verhege when you account for how little he played. Uh, so yeah, this guy looks like he could be a player. That said, in terms of rostering, just a couple caveats to consider. Uh, only 15 shots so far, uh, six goals on 15 shots. So that shooting percentage is not sustainable. He has no power play role. He takes fewer than two shots per game. So there's going to be some regression, and when there's that regression, there's also not going to be a lot of any other category filling happening. So it's kind of going to be like a dead spot on your roster on the nights where he doesn't point. For this reason, I think I'd prefer the Nashville guys over him, but I could see Verhege being a decent season-long third-wheel type kind of player to hold somewhere around like a Zach Hyman or even a Zach Cassian type oh. where, you know, you have them like in the past where you yeah, okay. would take this guy because they're playing with a superstar who can carry them and they'll get points just by virtue of playing so often with this player. Yeah, and like definitely I would hope that he'd be more like the Hyman and less like the Cassian for this year. But yeah, there has been times in the past where Cassian's been really valuable when he was playing with McDavid and clicking. Uh, today, for Haggy, like no points, like I said, but uh, three shots. So maybe he is you know, changing that part of his game in 18 minutes and 43 seconds of ice time. That's not what we expected from a guy who going into the season, we were definitely like, who is Carter Verhage? But okay, uh, let's take a sec. We've got a lot more hot streaks to get to, and then we'll do some injuries and outjuries. Uh, we'll go to the Habs next, but I actually want to take a second right now and thank a sponsor for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. Those are our friends over at Fantalytica. It's a brand new sponsor for the show. It's a brand new site. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's a hockey analytics platform for deep dynasty and keeper leagues. Uh, Whether you're preparing for your annual entry draft, drafting for the first time in a new league, or evaluating daily trading, Fantalytica can immediately help you target the right prospects for your team. They go a step further than other prospect researching tools. Uh, Fantalytica lets you directly input your fantasy scoring rules into the platform so you can get a unique prospect projection for your league. And uh, Brian... 
as you know, uh, evaluating NHL prospects is hard. I don't think we're especially great at it. We've had some ringers come on the show like Victor Nuno to help us with this. Uh, but evaluating NHL prospects for your dynasty league is even harder once you have to account for all the different categories. So that's where Fanalytica comes in. Instead of spending hours preparing for a draft, you can hop on fanalytica.ca and immediately find the top prospects to target. Yeah, we've been playing around with the tool recently, Elon, and uh, there's some really neat data in there, like you said, to help you make decisions for drafting and for trading. And it's also a really useful site if you want to find like those really deep gems. It's hard to know what to make of prospects in the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh round, but Fantalytica is your ringer. Right? We have our, our people that we can come on and interview on the show and get their personal opinions, but Fantalidaka has so much data in one place and has its own algorithm to help you figure out exactly where a player is going. They've used these algorithms to, uh, like on previous prospects who are now NHL stars. Fantalidaka found Braden Point, Victor Arvidsson, Sebastian Ajo, and many more players before they became NHL players and saw their value. And you have the opportunity to do that too now with Fantalytica. All you need to do is head on over to fantalytica.tech. That's fantalytica.tech to try out the demo tool. And if you like it and you want to support the podcast too, you can subscribe with a 20% discount code on the annual plan using the code Carlson20. That's like Eric's last name, Carlson. Then the number is 20 why don't you go ahead, give it a go today over at fantalytica.tech. Try it out. You won't be disappointed. Yeah, and you'll see the link there in our show notes with that offer code. Okay, so yeah, like I said, Brian, we're going to talk about the Habs in just a sec. So talk to you soon. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, everybody, for the second two-thirds of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey podcast. Uh, like I said, a lot more hot streaks to go to, and I want to go to the Montreal Canadiens right now. I know we've been here before. Uh, we've been just, like, gawking at how many players are doing so well on this Habs team, but I don't think we've really dug into the top line, which I know you are you like to argue with me about, about which line is the top line in Montreal, but I'm going to call it the top line of Nick Suzuki, Jonathan Druin, and Josh Anderson, and see, like, if is what they're doing actually for real? Because this is really fantastic like Suzuki is straight up looking like a superstar he's got 12 points in 12 games as a 21 year old like you don't see that very often unless it's from someone who's like a first or second overall pick but Suzuki is just doing this phenomenal job we knew he'd be good after his solid 47 point pace rookie season but his ice time is way up and he seems to be like on a completely different level at this point then we have Josh Anderson who people kind of like freaked out about when the Habs gave up Max Domi and a pick for him and then signed him to a seven year 5.5 million per year deal like I remember a lot of like whining about how like the pick should have gone the other way it's like why is Montreal giving up a pick to get 
Josh Anderson. Like, now, if you look at it now, through 12 games, yeah, like, Max Domi scored a goal today, but Josh Anderson is looking great. That contract, yeah, it's long, but $5.5 million a year for someone who has 10 points in 12 games is definitely a very nice contract if he could keep this up. So, yeah, like... Good job to uh, Bergevin on that deal, at least, you know, 12 games in. And then you've got Jonathan Drouin, who's, of course, a level behind these guys, but still worth rostering in a lot of leagues. He's got seven points in his last eight, playing on this great line. He's on the top power play. Uh, So here's my question, Brian. If you have Suzuki or Anderson, like either in a one-year league or in a keeper league, like is this a situation where you just ride the wave or are you seeing a reason to think that these guys are overperforming and now would be like the time to sell for really top-end pieces? Like a lot of leagues have like Habs fans. Like I feel like if you're in a dynasty league and you've got Nick Suzuki right now, you could probably get like someone really amazing for him. So I'm just curious to know is what he and the rest of his linemates is what they're doing like for real or do you think we're about to see some major regression? So last week on the show, we talked about how Brendan Gallagher could maybe do better than 65 points because of the way Montreal is looking and how offensive they are, and that maybe more than one Montreal Canadian can get to that mark, which we didn't think was possible before the season started. And then there was a discussion on our Discord server about Brendan Gallagher versus TJ Oshie and Patrick Hornquist and ranking them. We had a great chat about it. Ben and I were in there, and uh, short shifts Ben, of course, and Ben brought up a really good counterpoint uh, about my feelings about Gallagher that apply to all the Montreal Canadiens. He said, look at Brendan Gallagher's minutes. He's down nearly two minutes a night at five on five compared to last year. And sure enough, I looked at the Montreal Canadiens' minutes of like all their forwards, Nick Suzuki, uh, Tomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher, Philip Deneau, all at five on five playing about 12 or 12 and a half minutes a night, which is ludicrous. We were upset with Philip Forsberg playing 13 minutes a night. These guys are playing 30 to 45 seconds a night, less than that at five on five. And to really illustrate that point, Nick Suzuki, who leads Montreal in five on five minutes per game, ranks 113th in the entire NHL in that category. Then you have uh, Josh Anderson, Jonathan Drew playing 11 and a half to 12 minutes a night at five on five. Then Tyler Toffoli playing fewer than 11 minutes a night with Kotkaniemi and Arturi Lekanen. So Montreal is playing this top nine so evenly that even if they have become a more offensive team and Nick Suzuki and Brendan Gallagher have true NHL game-breaking superstar talent, I don't know either of them can really take advantage of it in the limited minutes they're getting. Also keep in mind that Montreal splits their power plays too. So it's not like you even have someone seeing a 70% share of the power play minutes, even if they are getting shorted a little bit at five on five. So can anyone in this circumstance get 70 points? I'm going to revise my take from last week and say, I don't think so. No matter how good you are, 12 and a half minutes a night and a 50% share of power play time generally is not enough to get you all the way to 70 points, let alone 80 or point per game. Suzuki looks like a legit, legit player, looks like a point per game player in a context where he'd be allowed to be one. But I don't think that's going to be there. Uh, so far, his production looks pretty clean. There's some high variance there. So I'm really excited about him as a player. But I go back to the take I've had about Montreal for the last couple of years, which is that 
men, it's just going to be a really hard place to produce because there's so little opportunity being handed out. Nobody gets superstar deployment. So I don't know that anyone can put up superstar production. Huh? Yeah. And it's weird because they all are right now. <laughs> like the numbers are high, I know. which is, I guess, I, like, so I, yeah. is that like a North division thing? Yeah. Well, exactly. That's the thing. Like, that's why I was asking, like maybe in a dynasty yeah. league, now is the time where you can get, and again, don't like make a dumb trade. Obviously, like these guys are awesome, but now they might be looking a little better than they will be. Like maybe Suzuki's value is at what, potentially its highest peak right now, because, you know, next season, it's not going to be North division playing against Vancouver and Ottawa for so many games. So something to think about anyways, but uh, there's, cause there's another Hab, by the way, who's, definitely been crushing it this year probably overperforming and jeff petrie he's got 14 points in 12 games he's a super stud uh like obviously you'll say that he's you know overperforming but there is also a montreal canadians player the one who's actually the highest rostered on yahoo and he's actually the most disappointing of all of these guys and shea weber he only has three points in his last eight games brian you just traded shea weber in the couple like yesterday and specifically you told me as you were trying to make that trade over the last few days like I want to try to trade Weber before Sunday's show because I'm going to say some concerning things about Weber on the show so here you pulled it off and now I'd like to hear your thoughts yeah I did I really didn't like what I was seeing from Weber first Elon before I get to him I just want to mention I thought before you got to Petrie you were going to mention Josh Anderson or maybe you did earlier and I just missed it but for anyone wondering if he can continue what he's doing 21% shooting percentage at five on five but still at least looks like a guy we hoped could be a 55 60 point player fill a few different categories which is great uh Jeff Petrie I want to talk about him too should I talk about Weber first just do, you know, Brian, the platform is yours here. Do what you like. Okay, I'm going to work my way down to Shea Weber. Now that we've teased, I'm going to go, okay, Jeff Petrie uh, going crazy right now, right? Six goals on 32 shots, 21% shooting percentage at five on five, which is uh, crazy for a forward in most cases, even crazier for a defenseman, and seeing a 14% on ice shooting percentage, which is also uh, the case somewhat for Suzuki and Anderson. Usually your on ice shooting percentage, I mentioned earlier, Eight is like the low end of what's reasonable. Ten is generally the high end. So 14% uh, is quite high. So Petrie is doing all this amazing production while getting these crazy percentages and also playing three minutes less per night at five on five. What's happening to the forwards in Montreal? Happening to the defense too. These guys are just losing minutes left and right, which means I wonder if they're going to be in really great shape come the playoffs if they're really uh you know meeting out minutes carefully and staying rested but anyway all these numbers for jeff petrie to me scream sell high uh, if you find someone who thinks that petrie is really broken the 45 point uh, power play split time quarterback uh, lovely peripheral mold he's made for himself which is great uh, that's super valuable. But if you find anyone who thinks he's evolved into doing all that while scoring 60 or 70 points in the season, uh, you might be able to trade him. You also uh, should keep in mind that he's seeing less time on ice to rack up those peripherals too. Elon, you had a request before the show started, which uh-huh. was that I name... Uh, players who you could sell high for for Jeff Petrie, right? Well, yeah, I was just thinking, like, you know, if you're saying sell high, it's like he's doing so well. Like, I don't want someone to be like, hey, I listened to you and I sold high and I got Ryan Ellis, and then I'll be like, no, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't right. So, like, maybe we could just give some people, uh, like, I don't know, like off the top of my head, we were talking about it before already. So I just throw out there, like, yeah, I think we're talking about like reach, like really high, right? Like, if you can get like a you know Kale McCarr or like a Brent Burns, yeah, even, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So when I say sell high, I mean look at the players that were. Dra- 
drafted before him in your draft for his starters, because we're still close enough to the draft that you can use that value when trying to figure out what a player is worth, or look at the players who are scoring in the top range of your league, or look at the players who had great preseason rankings but are struggling so far. Those would be the targets in a Jeff Petrie Saul high. Uh, we need like Darlene, like if you want to go for it, go for it. Uh, maybe some more realistic targets might be guys like Brent Burns and Alex Petrangelo, Morgan Riley. Uh, like you just want to see if you can get better value than the player he's honestly been for the last several years, which I don't see changing, plus fewer minutes. Again, I can't say that enough. So, uh, yeah, so that's the story with Petrie. And then the difference between him and Shea Weber, aside from the fact that Petrie is producing and Weber's not, is that Petrie has kept his rate stats steady this season. So in the time he's played, he's been as effective, but Shea Weber has not done that. Shea Weber has seen a drop of two minutes a night in his five-on-five ice time, and his shot rates are in a free fall. He's gone from seven shots per 60 down to three shots per 60, 14 shot attempts per 60 down to eight shot attempts per 60. These are massive. Sometimes it's like a a one or two shot or shot attempt drop, and like that's forgivable. This so far isn't. He also has seen drops in his scoring chance numbers, his expected goals rates. They all look really piddly compared to what he's done in the past, frankly, compared to anything. And then beyond the offense, Shea Weber is hitting and blocking less per 60 minutes than usual. So Weber has fewer minutes, uh, fewer numbers, lower numbers in his rate stats in those minutes. Plus, he's still in that split power play situation. Uh, I felt like it was time to pull the shoot on him. Of course, the question is, who did I trade him for? So the trade was Weber and Evander Kane for Brent Burns and Sean Monahan. So like I liked going for Brent Burns with Shea Weber. That was the idea. Upgrade there. And then I, I think I downgraded from Evander Kane to Sean Monahan. And I could have been patient with Shea Weber, but I have enough risk on my roster with Malkin right now, who I believe will recover. And I mentioned this because I also can believe the same to be true about Shea Weber, that so far we're just seeing like some wacky samples. It's still early in the season. Uh, maybe you won't get those minutes back. But maybe his rate stats will at least return to where they were. But I just was a little afraid that he wouldn't, and then I'd be left holding the bag. So uh, I'm happy to have just one super risky high-end guy on my team now instead of uh, two with Shea Weber or even three, if you count Evander Kane amongst those also. Uh, also, by the way, uh, just in this all this Weber analysis, I should do a shout-out to John Newholt, who uh, is our like one of the minds behind Kukuffle.com. And one of our hosts for the Cupful stat attack, uh, he mentioned on the Discord server that he was trying to trade Shea Weber. And I was like, I own Shea Weber. Why should I trade Shea Weber? <laughs> and like, because ha- he hadn't really jumped off the page as like doing badly so far this year. He'd been doing enough to keep me satisfied. But it was just like, this is a reminder to never get complacent with your players. I mean, maybe Weber's going to be fine in the end, but usually I look at the guys who are underperforming on my roster and then I try to trade them, which obviously never works. Like people hate playing with me sometimes for that reason. Like here's this garbage guy who I've given up on. Don't you still believe in him? But also make sure you're checking your overperformers and also your average performers too. Shea Weber was totally flying under my radar as a guy who wasn't delivering what I expected him to be delivering uh, when I drafted him, but I just hadn't noticed yet. It hadn't totally shown up in his numbers. 
Hey, well, that's why you're listening to this podcast, right? We're trying to shine a light on it. And let me tell you another player that you may want to look at jettisoning off your team. This might have to be a drop. I don't think you're going to get anyone to trade for Thomas Tatar, who has only one assist in his last six games. He started the season with a blazing six points in his first six games. But like I said, he's super cold now. Also, he saw only 13 minutes and 43 seconds of ice time on Saturday versus Ottawa, which was his lowest of the season. So I don't know if he's in the doghouse or something. Like, But this guy put up a 74-point pace last season. But at this point... I feel like there are like five or six Habs forwards that I'd take over Tatar at this point. So, Brian, are we approaching snoozer territory? Obviously, it depends how deep the league is. But, like, I mentioned Druan earlier, who's on this line with Suzuki, also getting the majority of the power play time. I know you keep saying it's a split, but it's still like a 60-40 split. Like, the Druan and Suzuki power play is seeing more power play time than the second unit. So, I kind of think, like, if I had Tatar and I saw Druan in my free agency... I'd probably make that swap, which sounds like it would have been crazy going into the year. But at this point, why not go for the guy on the better line and on the better power play who's producing? Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, Tatar hasn't been very exciting to me. He's actually seen his minutes not drop a ton, just 45 seconds at five on five. Just want to add that in because I've been talking about that for every other Montreal Canadian. Also, though, Tatar doesn't seem particularly snake bitten. So I think what he's doing, uh, like, isn't awful for his limited deployment, but it seems like he is having a bit of a hard time. There are some little flags that suggest to me that he could do better, like just do to variance. He has no secondary assist at five on five so far. That might be a bit unfair, as is his on-ice shooting percentage at five on five. It's down below 7%. So Tatar is better than the 48-point pace he's got so far. Maybe he's still on the top line. Uh, like, sure, you can slice the two power plays however you want. Suzuki's on one, Gallagher's on the other. So to me, they both seem equally powerful. And I just, like, I don't know that one will reliably get more minutes than the other. Uh, but you're asking me if I would drop Tatar for Druin? Yeah, if if you're in a league where Duran's available, I think that's a, a safe move. If you're in a league where Duran is not available, I would give Tatar like another week just to see how things go before you officially call him a snoozer. But I think you're right to at least have him on your list of people you're watching. Right, that's a very good point. Like, if Druan's available, that means this is a league where a player has to really perform well to get snatched out of free agency. So if you drop Tatar, you could probably even get him back later if he starts doing something again. And Brian, like, yeah, I'm just looking at the data, right? Like, the, this one power play is playing 60%. Like, I look at, you know, Nick Suzuki's player profile page on frozen tools and i'm seeing 60 plus percent power play time every single game which means gallagher is getting 40 percent or lower right so i'm just doing the math here doesn't matter who the names are it's just like you know who's getting more ice time anyway uh so the team that put a really good fight up against the montreal canadians over the last couple of games is the ottawa senators and i want to ask you about rookie tim stutzle on the sends who was pointless in the 2-1 loss on saturday but played a season high 17 minutes and 37 seconds including a power play one promotion for his second game in a row and going into saturday's game stutzle was riding a three-game goal streak including a one goal two assist gem in the shocking 3-2 win over the halves on thursday uh, so we've already brought up like josh norris and drake batherson on previous episodes as sends worth roster uh, you know, early in this season that people weren't necessarily expecting going into the year. Uh, Norris assisted on Colin White's power play goal on Saturday, but had only two points in six games before that. Batherson has also been pretty cold. He's only got three points in his last nine games. So, Brian, how would you rank these three young sends at this point? Uh, they play Monday, Tuesday, just like Nashville, against the Oilers. So there could be some goal. There could be a lot of goals against. So if your league counts plus minus, maybe just forget about all these sends. But if we don't have to worry about that, uh, I think that Stutzler, Norris, and Batherson are likely available in a lot of leagues. I'm curious to know how I would rank them in terms of who you want to grab for at least those two games. 
Sure. So I'm going to start by saying I like Batherson the most, even though he's not playing with Kachuk at five on five. He's still a reliable category filler. Is not completely on his own on that second line, right? Uh, let me just look at confirm who he was playing with. Like uh, Connor yeah, Brown or something? I guess to me, uh, as someone who's watching a lot of senses here, I see being with Colin White and Nick Paul is not completely alone, but you oh. might <laughs> see it that way. Um, those guys are okay. So anyway, uh, he's... But also, but Batherson's not putting up any points. Like, he's the one who's the quietest of all these players. I'm surprised you have him first. So yeah, he's not putting up a lot of points, but he still is uh, hitting... He's he's the only one who seems to shoot with any kind of regularity, although he has cooled off a lot lately with just eight shots in his last five games, which is not what we saw at the start of the season that got us so excited about him. But I still kind of have faith in him as like the most reliable player to at least do something of these three that you've mentioned, Batherson, Norris, and Stutzla. I'll take Norris second because he's on the top power play and playing with uh, Brady Kachuk at five on five and seems pretty good, uh, just you know, not a lot to show for it yet, but did grab an assist last game. And then Tim Stutzla, I have third of this group, uh, just because he doesn't take a lot of shots. And he's on the third line with Chris Tierney and Connor Brown, which I guess is probably about as good as the second in terms of line mates. But he was on the top power play last game, which was promising. I'm just uh, like, I want to see him shoot more. He's got these goals, uh, even though he hasn't taken a whole lot of shots, and that's obviously not going to continue. So to summarize, I prefer Batherson first, then Norris second, then Stutzla third, and frankly, Elon versus Edmonton. There are a bunch of random sends. Again, this is me like in the Ottawa bubble here, but if you're streaming in deeper leagues, uh, Colin White is playing with Drake Batherson on the second power play unit. Alex Galchenyuk had five shots in 10 minutes last game. No, we're not recommending Galchenyuk. <laughs> and no, don't, I'm just, I'm don't just, listen. I just, I'm don't just listen to him, putting everybody. this out into the universe. And Lo- Logan Brown... I, I maybe you haven't heard of him, but he should have made the team out of camp. Didn't because veterans for some reason, like, I don't know. Did he even play in the last game? I'm not even seeing that he played. No, he just got called up. Oh, I see. Okay. He should have started the year in Ottawa. And to me, preseason was a candidate to center Brady Kachuk. Uh, along with Colin White, and it didn't happen. I still don't think he's going to center Brady Kachuk. I think that's Josh Norris's job. But maybe uh, he can do something. Unlikely, though. This is definitely just me in my yeah. Ottawa bubble. D- okay, going back to the question you asked me, though. Bathurst and Norris, yeah. Stutzle. No, I'm curious what your answer is. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I would definitely disagree. I'd probably have Batherson last, and I'd have Norris first because he's centering the top line. Uh, and then I'd probably have uh, Stutzler in the middle since he's the hottest right now. Hmm. Uh, but, but anyways, I don't, I, I don't know. know. I thought your take before was you want the guy playing with Kachak. That's yeah, Norris. Norris is, that's why I said Norris first. Oh, okay. You're the one saying Batherson. Sorry, I thought you misspoke. I, th- I thought I misheard. Batherson, by the way, also, uh, as uh, as Rob has reminded us in the chat, he's still hitting nine hits in his last three games. Yeah, well, not everyone plays in leagues with hits. And a couple like hits aren't even worth that much. So obviously it depends no. on your format. If, if you're in a categories league and he's going to help you win your hits category and have a chance to get you points, that's obviously, obviously worth a lot more. For a couple, it's like 0.25 for a hit versus five for a goal. So it's like 5% of a goal is a hit. Uh, okay, so that's Sen's talk for the week. Uh, another guy who had a goal streak ended on Saturday along with Stutzla was Christian Dvorak of the Arizona Coyotes. He was on a run of five goals and one assist in three games before going pointless in the 3-1 win over St. Louis on Saturday. Still, Christian Dvorak, again, I'm talking about Christian Dvorak, uh, 11 points in 11 games for the Coyotes so far, which isn't even first on the team. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, pause and ask yourself who has more than 11 points in 11 games for the Coyotes. Okay, uh, here you are back listening again. 
And the answer is Connor Garland, who has 12 points in 11 games, and he's currently on a four-game point streak. Brian, I remember in our first show of the season when the Coyotes started hot, you reminded everyone, you were like, just keep in mind, these first two games they've had, they were against San Jose. And San Jose lets in a lot of goals. So let's see what these Coyotes can do when they play tougher teams like Vegas and St. Louis. Well, now they've played Vegas four times. They've played St. Louis three times. And these are the point totals. We still have point per game, Connor Garland and Christian Dvorak. So do we have to finally start considering these high-end Coyotes like Garland Dvorak as serious threats to put up huge offensive seasons? Like, they're still only rostered in 47% and 41% of Yahoo leagues, respectively. Obviously, it's a lot higher in the couple because we know what we're doing. Uh, but I just don't know what people need to see before adding these guys in more leagues, like especially Garland, who is like clearly the top forward to roster on this team. Like it puts up you know a lot of shots to go along with these points. So yeah, I'm just curious to know, are you ready to say, yeah, these are like 70, potentially like 70 point guys? Mm, okay potential like I was with you and very excited about the offensive potential in Arizona 70 points is uh, is a lot uh, but I will mention and I hope you're sitting down for this because this is a shock Arizona is ranked second right now in the league in expected goals for per 60 minutes which is just wild they're behind Carolina which leads by a, a long shot actually but then Arizona is ahead of the rest of the pack and then New Jersey's third then Montreal, Calgary, Vegas, Tampa, Edmonton, Ottawa, and Toronto round at the top 10, followed by Vancouver. The whole North Division is basically in the top 14 of the league. But anyway, Arizona's ahead of all of those North Division teams and the danger and quality of the offense they're creating, which is just outstanding. And of course, with that, the top scorers on the Coyotes aren't Phil Kessel and aren't Clayton Keller. We're not even talking, well, Ekman Larson's injured, I guess, or Jordan Jacob Chikrin. It's Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland. First, I need to do a mea culpa. Here I was wrong about Phil Kessel being a better choice than Connor Garland earlier in the year. I think Dauber called me out on it too. Uh, I was feeling fine about it until that four-game streak you just mentioned that Connor Garland went on where he had two goals and four assists for six points in four games, along with 17 shots on goal. Connor Garland with four shots per game through 11 games played, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, If you're asking me about whether Garland's production is sustainable, his on-ice shooting percentage is, uh, is high by a little bit, but whatever. Like, he looks really good. He's still only seeing 12 and a half minutes a night at five on five, though. So keep in mind what I said about the Habs, who are seeing the same amount, uh, many of who I think are probably better than Connor Garland. So 70 points is a stretch. I think 60 would be lovely if he could hit. And uh, yeah, I, like I look, I'm not going to get any more conservative than that. I, I won't do that since you started at 70. Christian Dvorak, also doing fantastic, as you said, but he has gotten in on every single goal that's been scored while he's on the ice at five on five. That's a 100% IPP, six points on six on ice goals for, uh, he himself has five goals on his last 12 shots. So we know that's not a sustainable way to score goals. Dvorak, to his credit, looks more like a, a top line center than he ever has before, but I'm not as sold on him as I am on Connor Garland. That said, I'd be happy to bring him onto my roster. I tried last week to do it, but I missed my chance. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to have Dvorak on my roster just to see how this plays out. I wouldn't have a very long leash for him, but I would at least be interested to see where this goes. Yeah, the tricky thing is Arizona's schedule next week. They play Monday and then not again until Saturday, which is a super busy day. So 
Yeah, I wonder, like, if you have, like, Dvorak, can you, like, get that Monday game and then risk dropping him and then adding him back, like, later because no one will want him? So, I don't know. It obviously depends on your league, but these guys looking really good. And, you know, like, Garland specifically, like we said, he's now 48% right. He's gone up 1% since I prepped this show. Still less than 50%. I'm going to steal a line from Dave Benton's stream scheme. I think if you're in a league where Connor Garland is a free agent, you're probably in a clown league. And as Dave always said, it's okay to be in a clown league as long as you win it. So you definitely want to grab Connor Garland if he's available. There's no excuse to not have him on your roster. Like Brian said, he's taking so many shots. He's amazing. Yeah, Connor Garland should be owned in all leagues. And he is in the couple 100% rostered. Christian Dvorak is more of a, like a stream wait and see type, as I... I think I just finished saying, but he is rostered in 96% of Kukupful divisions. So both of them, uh, Garland worth a roster spot and Dvorak worth a shot. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Dvorak, I believe, is not rostered in Kukupful Tier 1 Sweden right now. He was dropped and he like isn't available to add for tomorrow for Monday's game. So I think it's going to be a real game of chicken because anyone who, again, like I said, adds him can't get him until Tuesday at the earliest. And then Arizona doesn't play until Saturday and everyone's roster is probably already full on Saturday. So someone's going to grab him and probably enjoy him for a while. But I I'm, I don't know. Might be me. Might not. It'll be tough for me to bid on him next week because I just want to win right now. I can't think two matchups ahead. Okay, let's go to Calgary now where the Flames lit up poor Miko Koskinen on Saturday in the 6-4 win. Multi-point games for every like Goudreau, Monaghan, Mangiapane, Backlund, Dubé, Giordano, even Milan Lucic had a multi-point game. Uh, so far, it's looking like Goudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm are all on track for nice bounce-back seasons with 13, 12, and 10 points in 11 games, respectively. Brian, like you said, you just traded for Monaghan, so I take it you think this offensive output from their top guys is at least somewhat for real? Like, you said that you think that maybe you took a bit of a downgrade from Evander Kane to Sean Monaghan, but I mean, I don't know, like, North Division, uh, this top-line back back scoring like the way Monaghan was a couple years ago I think that was better than Evander Kane for sure but I I still don't know he's quite back there where he was there's some red flags with Monaghan again yeah he was the downgrade piece in the deal where I upgraded Shea Weber to Brent Burns but I guess I've liked what I've seen from Monaghan well enough not to say I think he's a sure shot to hold the 75 point pace he's on going into last night uh, which was Saturday night Monaghan had just one point in five games after starting this season on a really nice five game point streak he's also down nearly two minutes a night at five on five and getting positive variants so on Honestly, the numbers aren't so encouraging that with all this, like all this positive variance, a guy like Sean Monaghan is still looking at best like a 75 point player. And I don't think that's truly what he looks like. I think inconsistency is part of the deal with Sean Monaghan. But I think so long as you keep your expectations tempered for a decent season, I think you should be able to meet them. If he can, if he can just pace for 65 points, I will be fine with Sean Monaghan. Plus, if you're looking in the short term, which I guess I'm getting excited about him as much as I can since I just uh, acquired him. Calgary is about to play Vancouver and Edmonton uh, for six straight games following Tuesday's tilt with Winnipeg. So uh, that actually brings up another point that it might be a good time to stream in some of these other Calgary guys that might be hanging around in your leagues like Mikhail Backland or Manjapane or Dylan Dubé types. Yeah, no, definitely. Maybe like Lucic would be a step too far, but some of these others, you know, you could check the lines at gamedaylinetweets.com. Uh, but like, who even cares? Like, I don't, I don't even know if Mangiapani was on like a great line in yesterday's game or back then, but they still produce. So yeah, maybe just get these flames because they're playing against, like you said, the Oilers and the Canucks, who are teams that are, I guess, easier to score on than a lot of them. Yeah, Manjapane was playing with Backlund and Lucic, and Dubé was playing with Kachuk and Lindholm, so that's a better spot for him to be. Sam Bennett was playing on the top line with 
uh, Goudreau and Monaghan, and he scored a goal on three shots. He only played 11 and a half minutes, though. I still, like, I guess you could take a swing on him. Maybe I'd take a swing on him before Manjapane. Remember, he recently asked for a trade and is now getting an opportunity either to stay or just to be showcased to be traded. But I uh, gave up on Sam Bennett a while ago. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I've started to, like, not care as much about lines as I used to. This is a slow change for me. I feel like I need to see someone on a good line and actually doing something there. And it seems like Calgary's switching things up a lot. Like, on last episode, I think you were talking about Mangiapane playing with Goudreau and Monaghan, and that's already not the case anymore. So I wouldn't, like, be like, oh, Sam Bandit's with Goudreau and Monaghan, so go and grab him, because that could change, like, mid-game. So, uh, but yeah, he, had, he scored a goal in the last game, and maybe they're showcasing him. So that's a reason to grab him or one of these other random Flames. Uh, I want to bring up another player on the Flames that defense who is not making me so happy right now. Rasmus Anderson couldn't manage a single point in Saturday's six-goal goal fest. He's actually now pointless in five games. He started the season so hot, five points in his first six, but like I said, now he's pointless in five. Brian, what's going on with Rasmus Anderson? Is he turning into someone that you can stream out for the current hot defenseman in free agency, or are we still like high on him, and are we considering, as long as he's on that top power, he's still quarterback in the top power play, right? So is he the kind of guy you just hold uh, while he's there, even if he's cold? I'm going to offer you a note right out of your book. You wanted a sell-high option for me, for Jeff Petrie. Who's the hot defenseman available in free agency for Rasmus Anderson that you're asking me if I should replace him with? Yeah, well, the thing is, I actually messaged you before the show to come up with someone. (laughs) You're just, like, putting me right on the spot here. Uh, How about you tell us your thoughts on Rasmus Anderson, and I'll take a look. For sure. I wonder if a couple examples might be guys like Noah Dobson and Ty Smith, who I... I don't think I'd make the switch for. I think I'd have a little more patience with Rasmus Anderson, although I did tweet last night on Saturday that Calgary had just one power play goal in their last 17 tries. And then, of course, their second unit with Giordano and Dylan Dubé finally got a goal last night on the power play against Edmonton. The first power play's troubles are not at all all on Anderson, but you wonder if anything gets shaken up there. Uh, judging by the coach's tendencies, I, I don't think it does, but I did wonder aloud if Valamaki or Giordano gets a look on the top unit if it struggles for a whole lot longer. At five on five, Rasmus Anderson doesn't have a ton of opportunity or a ton to show. Like his minutes are second pair type. I don't know that I expected a ton of production from him at five on five. Like without top power play deployment, I'd probably see him as like a 35 40 point player. So you've got that and nothing coming on the power play. And yeah, he is pretty unattractive. But so long as he stays on that top power play, I think his fortunes will turn around at some point. And I assume for now that he's still going to be the one there when it does. Yeah, I'm going to hold on. I have him on my cupful team. And you know what? I like sat through a Seth Jones cold streak. I never considered dropping him, but you know, some people were offering me trades for him that I ended up, again, my new skill, rejecting trade offers. <laughs> and now Seth Jones has points in like three straight games. So I'm hoping the same will happen for Rasmus Anderson eventually. So would you drop Anderson for Ty Smith or Noah Dobson or any other hot free agent defenseman that you've got your eye on? Yeah, it's a good question because I guess it's, again, the thing that you said before. Like, if you're in a league... Well, well, Ty Smith is a weird case right now because New Jersey's on COVID protocol and he's actually, like, on the protocol. So he has IR eligibility. So maybe you can just, like, stash him and you don't need to drop someone for him. Like, I don't know, Ty Smith, like, before all of that, like, assuming things were just going how they were in New Jersey, I would definitely 
consider swapping Anderson for Ty Smith because, like you said before, if you're in a league where Ty Smith, who was getting a point almost every single game, was available, then obviously you can make that swap and no one's going to rush to grab Rasmus Anderson because if they weren't grabbing Ty Smith, why would they grab Anderson? I would just have him at like the top of my watch list and switch back. Uh, Noah Dobson, I'd have to take a look. But yeah, I think if like guys like that are available, then maybe you can make that swap. But I, in a couple, obviously that's not the case. Um, like the highest, let me see, who's the highest scoring available defenseman over the last couple of weeks? We've got Justin Schultz, but he's injured. And then Zdeno Chara, then Jordan Osterley, and then Hampus Lindholm. So I don't have any of these hot defensemen that I'm ready to drop Anderson for. So I'm going to hold on. Uh, okay, so next up, where should we go here? Let's go to St. Louis, where it looks like Mike Hoffman has finally shaken off the rust from the start of the season. He's now, or he was, on a four-game point streak, including three goals in two games versus the Coyotes, before finally going quiet again in Saturday's 3-1 loss. Uh, he's also finally managed to find his way onto the top six on a line with Perron and Ryan O'Reilly most recently. Uh, Brian, I'll admit, uh, I was definitely concerned about Mike Hoffman. I thought maybe this just wasn't going to work out for him, like the situation in St. Louis just wasn't going to be good but good on anyone who got in on him while his stock was down either out of free agency or in a buy low trade uh do you still have any residual concern for hoffman or do you think he's like good to go now to be worth rostering at the very least for the long haul moving forward obviously like top power play would be nice uh maybe that'll come soon as well but at least now he's not like a concerning guy who we're like maybe you should drop him he's like seems to be fine and he's on a good line so you can say that for a little bit, right? Like just based on the last couple games, but there's no promise that it's going to stay that way. Uh, we really didn't like the Hoffman we saw at the start of the season. He picked up just one or two shots in seven of his first eight games played. Uh, then he had nine shots and then four shots on goal on his game in his games on Tuesday and Thursday, picking up three goals between those games, which is nice, but I'd like to see it happen uh, longer if I want to make a long-term commitment to him. Of course, if he's been dropped and this is a good time to add him and it doesn't cost you much for sure, go for it. Uh, I will also mention though that another common feature of those games where he had those 13 shots between them, the, those two games, he saw lots of power play time still from the second unit, but there, I guess, were just more minutes to go around based on how much opportunity St. Louis had. Uh, that's neither here nor there. I guess that it's still just that he's still on the second unit. And to me, that's a, that's a big problem for Mike Hoffman and anyone who wants to see big production from him. Hoffman has made a huge, huge chunk of his living from the top power play and has never been anything so sustainably special at five on five. So as long as Hoffman's off that top unit, I'm still concerned and I'm not saying he's guaranteed to be rosterable. But if you want to take a shot and hope that he does get more opportunities to fire away, uh, I guess now seems like a decent time to at least try him out. Yeah, okay, well, now I'm almost flipping. Now I'm thinking, if you have him, like, obviously, grab him out of free agency. He's my coffin. He shouldn't be a free agent if he's producing. But, like, if you have him, maybe now's a good time to unload him like you did with Shea Weber, if, if you think that that hot streak was unsustainable. That was honestly my first thought when you asked me the question. If you if you can find someone, I, I just don't know how easy it's going to be to sell high on a guy who's really shown no signs of life most of the season and well, just has it a couple times. I know you can say, yeah, yeah the last game he was on that line with Perron and O'Reilly, that's fantastic. I just don't know how convinced anyone else will be. But for sure, this is a great time to unload a potential problem. Not saying he's for sure going to be a problem all season, but if you can get like roughly reasonably equal value for him, then seems like a good time. 
Yeah, Brian, I think you just got to be a good salesman here. You're like, okay, listen, Mike Hoffman, yeah, he started the season slow. Dude didn't have a training camp and he wasn't signed. And like, you know, he was rusty. And then he, he, you know, last minute he found out he was going to St. Louis. He had to learn a new team, learn a new system. Now he's got five points in his last five games. He's back to the Mike Hoffman of old. You want him? I'll give him to you. Give me someone overperforming. Give me a Connor Garland and uh, I'll give you a break here and let you have Hoffman for your Connor Garland. I'll take it. Boom. See? <laughs> By the way, uh, you could hire me uh, to negotiate <laughs> trades for you. That would be a lot of fun. I wish that was a business that I could get into. But okay. Uh, because I'm always too nervous when I'm negotiating my own trades, but I'd be happy to negotiate trades for other people. Um, I will mention Robert Thomas is injured, unfortunately. He's going to be out four to six weeks with a broken thumb. Not really fantasy relevant. Like he wasn't in the top six or on the on a power play, but just mentioning it. Um, and then let's look quickly at Chicago before getting to injuries and outries to end the show, since I already did bring one up in Robert Thomas. Man, Brian, Alex Debrinkit is an STUD stud. I love Alex Debrinkit so much. And I, like he scored two goals today in the 2-1 overtime win over Dallas. And I don't have a question, but I just think that Alex Debrinkit might end up being like one of the leading goal scorers in the league. Like he's just he's amazing. It's too bad he missed that time on the COVID protocol because uh seven shots today, two goals, moi. Uh there's been like some other Chicago guys that like the short shifters have been bringing up. You know, like Patrick Kane actually hasn't even been playing with Debrinket at even strength. It's been Debrinket with Strom and Kubalik and then Patrick Kane played today with Matthias Yanmark and Pew Suter. Uh for a while Kane was with Yanmark and someone else or someone you really like Kurashev, so right? Kurashev. Yeah, so forget about him. Now I know you were so excited probably to talk about Kurashev. Uh <laughs> Pew Suter, like, you know, seems like a good stream, but I guess he's not going to be, like, the superstar, like, Kubalik, like we thought he could be. Uh, Kubalik, by the way, I was wrong. So, time for my Mia culpa. I was like, yeah, I think Kubalik, like, overperformed a bit last year, and then this coming into this year, he wasn't on the top power play to start, not on the line with Keynes. I was like, watch out, and I think he had a slow start to the year. Bring up his number. Yeah, he had no points in his first three games. If anyone was like, Elon, you're an idiot, I'm going to go grab uh, Kubalik right now. You've been rewarded with 11 points in the next 10 games. Ton of goals, lots of shots. So, Dominique Kubalik, like, this guy's for real. He's awesome. So, I don't even have a question for you. I don't know. You co- please comment on any of these Chicago things I've said. Uh, so, to bring it, you know I've been on board with the entire time, even when you briefly jumped off the Alex. I was only train. off because of deployment. I always thought he was good, and now he's getting the deployment. So I'm way back on. Yeah, that's not exactly how I remember it, but I will take your word. Like, that is, that tracks. You would hate a guy for his deployment. So I'm glad you don't hate Alex Dabrinkit anymore. Dominic Kubalik, uh, this is an opportunity for me to, like, at least, yeah, acknowledge how freaking great he's been. He was off to just such a terrible, terrible start to the season. Even though he was shooting, nothing was coming from it, and deployment was down. Uh, He's still seeing, I see his minutes, like, went up for a bit and then dropped back down. Uh, But the points are there, which is really uh, exciting. And I did, like, I remember saying on one of the shows towards the start of the season, like, this is why I didn't want to draft him. Just seemed too much of a risk. Uh, So I at least need to own that I said that. And I still mostly stand by it. Like, he's not a guy I want to own because I I feel like there is this sort of uh, ride you get taken on with him of hot and cold. But I'm glad it's working out for those who did take a shot on him. And at five on five, by the way, uh, he's got room to grow. He has yet to score, even though he has uh, pretty decent shot rates at five on five. And his on-ice shooting percentage is at four and a half percent, which is just brutally bad and completely unsustainable in the wrong way. Of course, he's making up for some of this bad variance with some good variance on the power play, but there could be more to come from Kubalik. So uh, if he happened to get dropped, then you might want to... Well, too late now. Don't say that. I don't know. You'd have to hurry up. 
to go get them. I actually know in one of the leagues, in, in a league I'm in with some friends, like from, from work friends. Uh, so it's like not the most intense league. I actually told a couple of them, like, one of you needs to add Koopa League. I don't have room for him on my roster. What? And, uh, and so they did. Who do you have on your roster? Who's your worst player? Oh, yeah. I know. Now now I'm going to take take some heat. Do you want to know the rest of my roster? Yeah, let's hear it quickly. Okay. Uh, so the guy I should have dropped, and I know this before, I, before you even tell me, is Tomas Hurdle. Uh, who's just been so bad. But the rest of my roster is Couturier, Stamkos, Kyle Connor, Kevin Fiala, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Brian Rust, and Mitch Marner. Yeah, so uh, Kubalik over Hurdle would have been good. Oh, well, too late now, I assume? Too late now. Oh, well, it sounds like you're going to win anyways. Sounds like an easy league. Yes, only a 73% rostered on Yahoo Kubalik. So I guess there are some... There's maybe... uh, So yeah, 20... 7% of listeners could still potentially grab Madden to a team. Okay, so let's Sometimes go... Sometimes you can use that number to figure out, like, how many leagues aren't active anymore. <laughs> but I, I also feel like a lot of people drafted Koopa League at the start of the year, right? So, you know, there's, there's sort of there's the Martin Marinson number. How, however, however many leagues he was rostered in were how many leagues were completely inactive or... like Anyway, whatever. Keep going. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean the league is inactive, right, for right. Marinson. It might have just been that one... One manager. Uh, manager, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's do injuries and outries. Like I said, here's a big one. So Zach Wierenski is expected to miss the next one to two weeks with a lower body injury. Kind of a shame, right? Like, Well, of course it's a shame. We don't want anyone to get hurt. And he had just started to awaken recently. Like We talked about him for the first couple of weeks where he was doing absolutely nothing, but recently he had taken over the top power play quarterback job. He had three assists in his last five games, five shots on Thursday versus Dallas before he got hurt. Uh, but yeah, Wierenski is out for, I guess, like we said, one to two weeks. We'll see. And so obviously this is good news for Seth Jones, who also started the year slowly, but now he's the one quarterbacking the brand new Patrick Line featured power play, and it's going pretty well. Like, Jones also finally starting to do things. He had a goal and an assist over his last two games going into today's crazy 6-5 loss to the Carolina Hurricanes, where Seth Jones picked up two more assists in both from Patrick Line goals. So I remember I had Seth Jones, and again, I was saying, like, uh, I was getting some trade offers. I think I specifically said to Dave, he was like, come on, just, uh, I, I, like, I don't know exactly what Dave said, but he was basically telling me how, like, Seth Jones sucks. And I was like, nah, it's cool because Line is coming soon. And I think I was, like, trying to convince myself of that, or, like, trying to, you know, or maybe I was trying to convince him so that he'd give me a better offer for Seth Jones. I was like, Line is coming, so he's going to be good. And I didn't even fully believe it because I was like, yeah, Wierenski's probably going to be the one to benefit. But no, like, right now, Wierenski's gone. And so good for Jones. I don't know what the fantasy advice is here. If Jones is available in your league, obviously go grab him. Yeah, people had gotten impatient with him. Like, we had a lot of questions coming. What do I do with him? Should I drop him? Uh, Yeah, so there's your answer. And obviously, like, once Wierenski's back, we can reassess. But I think Seth Jones has, like, proven for many seasons now that he's not the kind of guy that's going to give you, like, no points in five games very often. So... You know, kudos to everyone, including myself, for holding on. <laughs> wow. We'd, we'd have had yourself on the back for all the great things you do. I mean, I guess, like, you could look at Seth Jones and say that you didn't like his points, but his peripherals are still there for the most part, right? He's still hitting as much as he usually has. His blocks are down at the moment, but I don't know if that's, like, actually going to be a thing. But he hasn't lost any ice time. So, honestly, I expect him to just be able to repeat last season around a 40-point pace with peripherals. Yeah. Well, if Wierenski were out forever, and now with Patrick... Like, Patrick Lanning scored two goals. That's not buried the lead, by the way. Last week, we were just talking about that trade. Maybe it was already two weeks ago, but 
we finally have gotten Line A into some games so far, looking pretty good, at least in terms of like his production. Uh, Columbus is like not doing that well. Like I said, they lost six to five today in this crazy game. But uh, by the way, Jack Roslovic had two assists today also on the Line A goals. Uh, this is something like after we had prepared the show, but let me just quick check the lines here on Frozen Pools. And you have Roslovic, Line A, Cam Atkinson was a line. So Jack Roslovic, if he's available, he's playing with Line A and Line A scoring goals. So if you want assists, uh, you could definitely do worse than Jack Roslovic. Next injury, or no, this is an outjury. Sean Couturier is back. He returned from his costochondrial separation versus the Capitals in another crazy high scoring game. And Couturier had himself a nice return, right? He had two goals and an assist. And this was from what? Like, wasn't he like on the fourth line? Like he was on like a weird line with a bunch of nobodies. Uh, Couturier, Raffle, and Nicholas Obey-Kubel. And like, no offense to Raffle and Obey-Kubel. We've mentioned them on the show before, but I would have expected Couturier to get back with someone like Travis Konechny, who we'll get to in a second. But first, anyways, obviously... Couturier can produce from anywhere like he's clearly an impact guy and and Philly won the game I'm sure in no short part due to Couturier's return but yeah we were thinking that maybe uh Travis Konechny who's been really struggling lately maybe he'd get a boost from having Couturier return to the lineup but uh Konechny once again went pointless in a seven goal game Travis Konechny went pointless he's was already pointless in four so now that's make that pointless in five and that's not including a game where he was healthy scratch so it's really pointless in six in terms of on your roster what do, we, what do we do with uh, Travis Konechny at this point, Brian? Like, I, I guess we assume that Couturier is not going to be centering the fourth line much longer. So, but is that like, I don't know. I don't know. It went so well today, <laughs> yeah. Elon. Why, why wouldn't they? I mean, it just shows Couturier's value, right? Just that he can do, I mean, Scott Lawton hat trick, Joel Farabee hat trick. Like, these things happen, especially in Philly. And it's cool and exciting. And maybe it would have happened with or without Couturier, but... Holy cow, Couturier's impact is just massive. And I actually uh, retweeted a stat earlier today that uh, mentioned, I haven't actually fact-checked it myself, but it sounds right, that Carter Hart had to make 30 or more saves only seven times in 40 starts last season. He's had to make 30 or more saves six times already in nine starts this season. And honestly, I think a, a huge part of that was because Couturier was out. So one lost Couturier has a whole lot of dominoes that fall after it. And Konechny was uh, was one of those dominoes, unfortunately. When he got injured, we said on the show that he was off to a great start. It was very exciting. And now we find out if Travis Konechny, who looks like a superstar after two games, was actually a superstar or was still somebody who needs that centerman to really be as good as he's been. And I feel like we got our answer. Uh, Travis Konechny... Just three points in 10 games, or sorry, three points in nine games without Couturier. I'm counting the 10th game because he didn't really play with Couturier in Couturier's first game back. I expect a reunion should help, but uh, Connecty was really struggling without Couturier. It wasn't just like bad, it was bad. Only three shots for Connecty in his last six games going into today's. That's concerning. Also getting like second power play type minutes. So, uh, you know, I mentioned that Couturier returning could be the end of the buy low window on Travis Konechny, but I'd be a little afraid to buy low at this point. I know that's crazy, and that just means you might be able to buy real low. I, I think there is some level of risk worth taking because I expect Couture and Konechny to be together again before long, and that will be really good news for Konechny when it happens. Yeah, Konechny was like a 70-point guy last season. Yeah. So I don't know what's happening. I thought he was like the new like top forward on Philly, and now it's like JVR is like the top. Like Philly's crazy right now. By the way, 
JVR, like another multi-point game, of course. He's like one of the top like points leaders in the league right now, outside of people from Edmonton. So that's crazy. Obviously, you're enjoying JVR, and we already talked about him last week and said to sell high. And I, I guess if you did, then you're regretting it for this week because he continued to produce. But I'd imagine you're still thinking the same that what he's doing is unsustainable. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to comment on JVR again? I know I didn't plan to ask you about him because I we just talked about yeah. him, but another big game. Yeah, he's coming up a ton in our Discord group and in our Twitter mentions too. Uh, he's fantastic. Like he's having a great season. But my take on him hasn't changed from when we talked about him way back at the start of the year when he came out flying. Ugh, no pun intended. But he uh, he's doing some amazing stuff that's largely unsustainable. But I think we can at least expect a return to form from a couple seasons back. You know, he was a he was a 60-point player his first year in Philly, then dropped to a 50-point player last year. I think this year he looks closer to a 60-point player, and a lot of that is because he's getting uh, some pretty good power play deployment, which he didn't get last year. And there seems to be no real dead spot in the Flyers lineup for him to land. Although you would think that dead spot might be Scott Lawton and Joel Farabee, uh, where he played a lot today. But uh, no, he was uh, like obviously just fine there. And sorry, I mentioned Sean Couturier made Scott Lawton and Joel Farabee look really good, but he spent time also with Voracek and Raffle. So and and Obey Kubel. I think I, I was confusing it with the like Robert Hogg scored from Obey Kubel and Sean Couturier. That's the goal I was thinking of. All right, fair enough. I don't know. There's like everyone on Philly did well today, obviously. And yeah, this Faraby, Lawton, and JVR line seems to be producing, even though you wouldn't think they would. Uh, okay, next injury I wanted to bring up. Uh, let's go to Carolina, where Martin Nichas is going to miss some time with an upper body injury after a rough hit into the boards from Calvin DeHaan on Thursday versus Chicago. That was kind of a scary highlight to watch. Uh, Nichas is having a de- decent start to the year on his line with Chocek and Nino. Uh, so again, this is a game that just happened after we prepped. But again, this is a game we talked about with Columbus, right? So Carolina won 6-5. to five. James Reimer got the win, but he only <laughs> made 17 saves on 22 Ugh. shots. Brian, you brought this up, right? It's like Reimer might win games, but like Caroline is so good at suppressing shots that unless he like saves almost all of them, he's not going to give you a great save percentage. In this game, he didn't save a lot of them, and he had a 773 save percentage. Probably blew up a lot of people this week. He got you the win, but at what cost? Uh, so that's yeah. a shame. Yeah, the curse of a Carolina goaltender is that they, like you said, they face so few shots. So if they stop 18 out of 20 and win, that's a 900 save percentage they've just given you. So there's not a lot of great ways to put up volume. We talked when Morazic got injured, how great he had been. Like he, he was one of the top goalies in the league this year based on his save percentage and his goal saved above average. And then he got injured and Reimer came in and we thought, okay, maybe he can do that well too and not be sort of kneecapped by the lack of shots that he gets to face, which means that, which magnifies every goal against. And uh, yeah, he's really blown it. He's on my cupful roster and I need to think long and hard about how long I'm going to keep him there. Yeah, well, if you think about like short term, so Carolina plays Monday, Thursday, Saturday next week. So tomorrow, I'm assuming Nadelkovich is going to play because it's a back-to-back and Reimer just stunk. So why wouldn't they play Nadelkovich? So then maybe Reimer plays Thursday and then maybe coin flip for Saturday. So take a look. Those are busy days. If you already have two other goalies, then you might not even play Reimer. So yeah, think long and hard if you're going to still hold on to him. Obviously, you want to have a starter on a good team like Carolina, but also maybe not just because they let in so few shots on goal. So it's not going to be good for your save percentage or saves. Anyways, I started this Carolina conversation to talk about the forwards because Nietzsche is injured. So that has led to 
Tevo Teravainen, who came back from the COVID protocol, he's not playing with Ajo. He's playing on a line with Trocek and Nino Niederreiter, which is great for Trocek to keep up the amazing start of the season he's had. And Nino didn't get any points today somehow on the six goals, but he's obviously been pretty good, a lot better than we expected going into the year. Then uh, Sebastian Ajo was playing today with Svechnikov and Brock McGinn. And Brock McGinn, I believe, scored a goal. So that's a great spot for him and a good streamer if you can fit him in. But like the guy that's actually the most interesting right now on Carolina, maybe third line center, Jordan Stahl, who's been centering uh, Dezingle and Warren Fogle. And Stahl had a six-game point streaker at six points in six games going into today and he had yet another great game i'm bringing it up right now yeah one goal and two assists so jordan stall is just amazing plus he's like good for hits if you're in a hits league he's giving you points and hits he's like like the drake batherson you described except a million times better so far so brian at this point do we have to start telling people i feel like we do this every year or maybe every second year i don't know it used to be a thing on keeping carlson where jordan stall would go hot for like 20 points in 20 games and then would totally disappear uh, is he on track to give us one of his classic 20 game point streaks right now and you need to grab him asap and ride this out oh okay sorry i did not think that was where you were going with that uh like i was just gonna i thought you were gonna say is this where he's gonna go on one of those classic streaks and then fall off and do nothing and yes that's what i anticipate the thing with jordan Saul over the years on keeping carlson like he's been this classic player as you mentioned he goes on this run and i'm like ah don't like it's not sustainable and i guess you're right usually he keeps it up longer than we expect but there's no reason to think it ever will. And then eventually the bottom does fall out. And last year we were spared from this experience because he was just awful. Just a 33-point pace and didn't go on a run. This year he is on a run, but he is the same old, uh, like, 48, 46-point Jordan Stahl, whatever. Like, he's just been so steady a player since going to Carolina He's not anyone different now. He's got some really, really nice numbers in terms of percentages, uh, variance, luck, uh, 100% IPP so far. Uh, he's got a 20% shooting percentage because he's scored two goals, which means, yes, he's only taking 10 shots in seven games. So he's just loading up on assists, and there's uh, enough assists to pick up because while he's on the ice, his teammates are shooting over 11%. So Jordan Stahl is not someone who can keep this up. Uh, I don't even know what the advice is because he's likely not rostered. No, the advice is pick him up. Like, even if he doesn't keep this up, even if he's keeping up 50% of this, it's probably worth rostering, especially if if he counts hits. And by the way, these two goals, Brian, they were power play goals from the top power play on a unit with Svechnikov, Ajo, Trocek, and Dougie Hamilton. So he's in an amazing spot. And, uh, like, you roster him. I'm not saying that you, like, trade someone, you know, great for him. Like, maybe, you know, so I I think that we're both kind of saying the same thing. Like, this is not going to be a long-term, season-long hold. But right now, like, get on the train. Enjoy the ride because he's done this before like he goes on these runs and he's on one like he he's a guy he's a streaky player and he's on a streak yeah i guess i don't understand why was jordan Saul up on the top unit instead of tevo teravainen i feel like maybe teravainen was tired or something going at the start of the power play like that's weird or maybe jordan Saul has a million points <laughs> in the last few games like why mess with something that's working so uh, we'll see like teravainen just came back right so maybe they're easing him into the top maybe power that's play it. Uh, anyway uh, pretty okay. crazy stuff. All right, I guess we're uh, winding down the show here. Who else did I want to bring up? Oh, yeah, Wayne Simmons. Oh, I was excited to bring up Wayne Simmons, Brian, and tell people, guess what? Career resurgence time for Wayne Simmons. He had gotten onto the Tavares line on the lease and on the top power play. He scored two goals on Saturday, an uh, even strength goal and a power play goal. Uh, but then he took a puck to the hand late in the game and is now potentially going to be out for six weeks. 
So it's like a huge. That's really d- disappointing to me, right? I have to say, like I was kind of this was cool. Like you know, we we thought that at the start of the year it was going to be Joe Thornton who was going to maybe have a career resurgence in the top six on Toronto. Then he got injured. Now it was like Wayne Simmons's turn, and now he's injured. Bad luck. Bad luck for the Leafs. Anyways, yeah. I don't know. No advice to give. Like, watch and see who takes over on that spot with Tavares and Elander on the second line. And I guess you could try to stream that guy in. I think my advice would be that Wayne Simmons, I mean, it's very great. I'm so happy to see he succeeded. Uh, great work, Wayne Simmons. And now he's injured. But, like, I don't think he was doing anything special. So I guess my advice would be uh, maybe somebody else can step into that exact same spot and do what he was doing, which, by the way, like, wasn't awesome, right? He scored five times on 20 shots. That's a 25% uh, shooting percentage. <laughs> Hater. Yeah, like, three like three of his five goals are on the power play, so you can expect a higher shooting percentage, but uh, not doing a lot at five on five. Zero assists, so he's not creating a whole lot. Only 11 minutes a night. There's just... There wasn't a lot to like anyway. I wasn't going to say run out and add him, except like in a deeper league. Oh, I was going to. So I guess now we don't have to have that debate. Uh, there you go. It's a good roster spot. Right? Like, if you're on the, the line with Tavares and yeah. on the top power play and you're producing, like, why not grab North Division? Like, Toronto's playing Edmonton, I believe. Or So who's going to replace him? Well, I don't know. Like, Mikhaev, maybe? Like, Jimmy yeah. VC, Like, someone boring. Like, I yeah. don't know. Wayne Simmons used to be a real big star, so I thought he'd be fun to be there and do it again. But right now you're hating on the older players, the former stars, Jordan Stahl, Wayne Simmons. You're like, ah, these guys all stink. So, all right. Uh, how about let's end the show with the fact that Anthony Mantha was healthy scratch today for the Detroit Wet Red Wings. So this ridiculous season for Anthony Mantha continues. Uh, like, he seemed like he was starting to get back. Like, he started slow. Then he had a few games with goals. It looked like things were getting back to normal. Yeah, he wasn't on the Larkin line. But maybe they were just spreading things around, and he was still on the top power play. Now he's healthy scratch. So, I don't know. Brian, uh, do you have any Mantha shares, as Ben and Lewis like to say, in any of your leagues? And, like, I'm just curious to know what people should do with him at this point. Like, I, w- I have him in a couple leagues. I'll hold on. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to drop him. But, like, I don't like that he's getting healthy scratch. He's supposed to be, like, a superstar. He's someone I targeted in a lot of my drafts, and I failed to get him in any of them. And I'm really thankful for that yeah. right now. So apologies to anybody who successfully executed their draft day plan by getting him. Honestly, he doesn't look significantly worse. Like, I I don't know what – I mean, he plays with Detroit. That's the first problem. The second problem is that uh, he's not even getting to play with Dylan Larkin a whole lot. I don't know what the plan for Jeff, Jeff Blaschel is, aside from Tank. But Well, they you know, won. You're playing. They won today, so maybe it was the right decision. They benched <laughs> Mantha, and then they beat Florida 4-1. to one. Yeah. <laughs> you hate that. <laughs> I just, I do. You know, I gave you my thoughts on healthy scratching about Konechny last week and Alan Vigna. So, like, I'm not going to go into that whole thing again. And now uh, Philly won 7-3 to three today. All these coaches doing these healthy scratches are getting wins, Brian. Maybe well, it's a good move. Konechny still didn't do anything. <laughs> okay, you're just screwing with me. Play him or trade him. Honestly, if, if I'm Anthony Mantha, I'm asking to leave. Like, he's not the worst player on the team. He doesn't deserve to be scratched. Uh, like, there, there are other more effective ways to teach a player, IMO. Yeah, this was like a last-minute thing, too. So who knows if it was one of these, like, random, they were late for a meeting or something. Yeah, I actually thought he was injured. Someone had to, uh, actually, Ben mentioned to me that he was healthy scratched, and you just repeated it. I, I I assumed he was hurt when I saw he was out. I did not know it was for a healthy scratch reason. So maybe it is. Maybe something will come out later. But if you scratch Anthony Mantha twice, once in the first 12 games or whatever, that would be a foul in my books twice (laughs) something is wrong 
Jeff Blashill not getting invited to Brian's house anytime soon. I guess no one is with COVID, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, like, what I was going to say, though, is I did enjoy the fact that people didn't know why he was missing the game at first, and he did get a flag on Fantrax, and I was able to stash him, and I grabbed Kapo Kako, who has a stream of Gami next week, playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So uh, I'll ride Kako for a couple of games until Mantha figures this thing out, and then I'll, you know, drop Kako and bring Mantha back, hopefully. Uh, I guess I'll mention a guy who got to play with Larkin for at least a bit of the last game, Giovanni Smith who had a goal and an assist versus Florida. So, Brian, I didn't do it about Carter Verhage because I've already done it, so I'll do it here. Who's Giovanni Smith? And if he's going to play with Larkin, is he someone people should grab? A goal and assist. Look at that. Never heard of him. Giovanni Smith, huh? Okay, so he was drafted in the second round, 46th overall by Detroit back in 2016. And nothing from his pro numbers is really standing out to me. He spent two years in the AHL uh, with 32 points in just about 100 games. So nothing really stands out there. Took a lot of penalties, I guess. And he's had a cup of coffee with Detroit before. Three points in 21 games last season. Four points in six games this year. I don't see anything. Here. Like, I, I, to be honest, Elon, you're catching me a little off guard. I don't know a ton about him. <laughs> but just looking at his career numbers, he seems to me like a power forward type. Like, I'm just looking at his penalty minutes and his production. It's like, okay, decent production, lots of penalty minutes. And I just don't know exactly how that's going to translate uh, next to Dylan Larkin. Yeah. And who knows if it'll last because Mantha will be back and they'll probably shift. Right. Jeff yeah. Blashill has a plan and the plan is to not have a plan and change things every single game. <laughs> so who knows? But anyways, an interesting new name to keep our eye on. Uh, I guess you could check Fantalitica, see what they say about Giovanni Smith. Uh, but okay, Brian, uh, the last thing I want to mention on the show, we don't need to dig into it because I'm sure it'll change a million times, but we got a report on the Winnipeg Jets line combinations with Pierre-Luc Dubois in the lineup. He's expected to play for the first time this coming Tuesday. These are some pretty wacky lines here. So Andrew Kopp playing with Ehlers and Shifley, then Wheeler with Stasny and Christian Veselainen, and then Dubois centering a line with Kyle Connor and Trevor Lewis, I believe is the Lewis. Uh, so there you go. They're splitting into trying to do a top line, trying to copy what the Habs have been successful in doing. And obviously taking a quick look at this, uh, obviously kind of good news for Christian Veselainen, who hasn't even been in the roster for all the games. Now, if he's going to play with Stasny and Wheeler, maybe he's a guy in like a super deep league Maddie and I actually have him in our dynasty league, so I'm excited to see what he can do for us. Uh, great news for Andrew Kopp. You know, like we were originally thinking maybe Dubois comes, just bumps Kopp from that Stasny and uh, like Ehlers line, and then Kopp would lose his value because he's been so good lately. But I guess Kopp gets to stay playing with great players, and we'll see what happens. Like, obviously, Kyle Connor is no slouch for Dubois to slot in with. Uh, then we also saw some power play practice lines Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, Stasny, Morrissey. So they kept the power play the same as before, and then brought Dubois to the second power play. So that would be a little bit disappointing for pld uh so yeah just wanted to mention it i don't think we need to dig too deep into it uh but there you go you can check out gamedaylinetweets.com to see the lines for yourself and we'll see how long they last yeah one guy you didn't mention i don't think you needed to but if you mention all these other guys trevor lewis is playing on a line with kyle connor and pierre luc dubois who by the way like you you're saying this is i guess you're saying it's not awful for dubois but it's not great I mean, the other two lines, you know, you've got Stasny and Wheeler playing with Veselainen, Ehlers and Shifley playing with Kopp, who's probably like the best third wheeler of the Kopp, Veselainen, Trevor Lewis trio. But those each have two pretty strong parts, plus a third wheel. So I don't see why Dubois' line can't be the best of the group. Also, he's playing on a second power play unit that has three power play one pieces on it. 
right? You've got Dubois, you've got Nick Ehlers, you've got Neil Pionk. So that's also not, I mean, obviously the minutes won't be there, like as if it was a power play one unit. However, it's still not an awful place to be when they do see time. So could be better for Dubois, but also could be worse. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see. Maybe they're going to try to copy the Habs and give that second power play a lot more time. Uh, so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. And I'm sure Ben and Lewis will cover this very well in the upcoming Short Shifts episode. And I think that's a good place to end the show, Brian. Uh, if people want more content, uh, there was a really awesome stream scheme episode today that we brought up where Dave broke down the schedule for next week. So definitely check that out. That's linked in the show notes or you can search stream scheme. Uh, we've got the Kakupful stat attack. The first episode of the season came out last week. It was a banger. I loved it so much. I think even if you're not playing in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, you'll enjoy this show because it was just talking about all the different players and like all the stats of like who's getting added a lot, who's getting dropped, who were the top players, who were the worst players. So it was, it was a lot of fun. John Newhold and Marcus uh, are just like, they, I don't know. I really enjoyed that show. They do an interview with someone every week. So I would definitely check that out. Uh, KeepingCarlson.com slash stat attack. That'll also be in the show notes. It's powered by Kevin Haybear, presented by JNSoftware.ca. Uh, Brian, but okay, I guess I've mentioned a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, and then Short Shifts is coming up on our feed. Hope you guys have been liking that. We'd love to hear any feedback. Uh, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Brian, before I cue that outro music, any final words for the listeners? I mean, you kind of closed the loop on kakuffle.com already, but I'm just going to reopen it and mention a reason to go there is if you want to find out what the best fantasy hockey players are doing in the biggest and greatest fantasy hockey league in the world, uh, like you can get tips, you get ideas, you can see player trends that you can then apply to your league. It's like getting data from people and managers and players you can really trust in fantasy. I go there. I, like, if you ever look at percent rostered in Yahoo, you should really be looking over at the cupful.com data to really find out uh, exactly what players are worth and what the greatest fantasy players in the world are doing with them. Yeah, thanks so much to the team of John, Marcus, and Kevin who uh, put that together. So yeah, again, you got cupful.com, you've got the Cupful Stat Attack podcast, the Stream Scheme podcast. It's all going to be linked in the show notes. So lots of content for you if you want it. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music music and then why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeman carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons logo art from brandonweeb.com outro music by pat roach this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen pool dauber prospects natural stat trick evolving hockey cap friendly charting hockey hockey reference hockey base hockey database elite prospects roto world and yahoo Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to hearing Ben and Lewis on the Short Shifts on Tuesday and talking to you next Sunday for another mega show. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>